Well, I suggest that you don't have to hit a home run, but you just got to get started. Getting motivated, getting out of the couch and start looking for an investment. As a loyal Best Ever listener, you know that it's important that we as entrepreneurs focus on managing our time effectively, which is why we're always looking for ways to automate the basic duties of our business so that we can focus more time on our money-making activities. That's why I want to introduce you to Rentler.com. At Rentler, landlords and property managers can perform all their duties in one place. Rentler offers tools that allow you to automate tasks like listing a unit for rent, finding and screening tenants, collecting rent, and managing the maintenance requests. And even better, these tools are offered at zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever to get started today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Mario Ortiz, how you doing, Mario? I'm doing great, Joe. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm glad you're doing great, and it's my pleasure. And a little bit about Mario. He has been an engineer in the oil industry for 28 years. He started investing in single-family rentals to get out of the rat race, but was overwhelmed after 10 homes, moved up to a 17-unit, then a 90-unit, then a 180-unit in 2015 that have tripled in value since then, based in Friendswood, Texas, near Houston, with that being said, Mario, will you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. So like you mentioned, I'm a mechanical engineer in the oil industry. I'm 50 years old, graduated from UT El Paso, shout out to miners out there, and decided that the best course at the time was to get into the oil industry and got into it. And like every other industry, it fluctuates, goes up and down. There was a point in my life where I thought I was going to lose my job, so I decided to find an alternate income source to replace my income, and that's how I got into real estate. So you first started out investing in single-family homes. How many did mm-hmm. you purchase? I started, obviously, with the first one, and I didn't know anything about real estate at the time. I bought a house that was MLS. I paid full price, 109000 for it, rented it right away. Didn't have to do anything to it. It was ready to go was scared to death with that first one. Once I got into it, I realized, look, there's really not a whole lot to this. I bought another one down the street a few months later. Then once you start looking, as you know, Joey, once you start getting into it, you start finding other opportunities. A gentleman that had three houses out in north of Kingwood offered me three houses that he was trying to get out of. So I bought those three And then I bought a couple in Texas City, which is another town south of here. Bought one in Galveston. Before I knew it, I had, I believe, 10 houses throughout the Houston area. Kind of where I stopped at 10. At 10, okay. A couple questions on the single-family homes. One, the guy who had three houses that you bought the package from, how did you get connected with him? After I had the ones I had, I didn't know anything. I was trying to find out how to get financing for bigger complexes, bigger being, I found a 10 unit and I was trying to get that. So I got in the yellow pages back then, 2004 or five, somewhere in that range and found a banker in the yellow pages, called him up and I had a meeting with him, went over there with my brand new child and my wife and sat down across from him, told him what I wanted to do. And he says, look, I've got a guy. So so he introduced me to the person that was trying to get rid of the three houses and he financed it. It was like a loan broker. 
So that got me through a few financing issues as well. You got to 10 homes and a lot of investors continue to do more single family homes and there's a limit with conventional financing, you know, this up to 10 homes, Mm -hmm. but then you can package those into a commercial loan and then you'll be able to start over. And I got refreshed on that from a recent interview I did. So why did you go into larger stuff and not stick to what had been working? It had more to do with the logistics of things. So all this time I have a full-time job as an engineer, project manager, pretty demanding. And then I had a young family at the time I had two kids, then started where one was vacant out in Kingwood, another one over here in Texas City had a bad toilet. And I was doing all the maintenance. So it became very demanding running around everywhere. It was more of that. And by then the oil market started to turn and it was lucrative. Things were going good. So I actually started to divest of these houses because of the complexity of trying to manage those many houses, maintain a job, and the fatherly duties I had. So I started to sell some just because I was so busy with all that that I said, look, this isn't for me. It's just too much work. My objective was to get 20 or 30 houses and maintain a job. But at 10, the wheels were starting to come off. Just I just couldn't handle it. And so I stopped at at 10. As an engineer and Sounds like you also do some project management, right, in your role? Mm -hmm. Okay. I know you thought of the option of hiring a company to do it. So why didn't you do that? Because that seems like it would solve the challenge that you had with doing all the maintenance and handling all the logistics. One of the things that kind of drove me was that I, and like everybody probably, I feel like I'm very resourceful, that nobody can do it better than that. That's probably a flaw of mine, that nobody can do it better than I can. That kind of attitude really drove me to stay with it. But I think Joe, what's important is that more so, I just got burnt out. If you combine all those things that I was doing, I really thought that this was not going to work. And I was more interested in just kind of doing something different. The oil industry was doing good. At that point, I just decided to stop. Really, at that point, I was ready to just sell everything just because of the frustration at that point. So what'd you do? So I started selling them. I sold those three out there and I made a pretty good profit. I got down to about six and things settled down. So it just seemed to be a sweet spot and everything was a lot closer to where the six were around here. And then I went a couple of years and I got a little bored. This was around 2008-ish when the implosion happened. And I started getting the bug again, just kind of hanging around the house, playing golf a little bit here and there. Got a little bored. I'm a little restless. And so I started In 2008, you got bored? Around there, yeah. Was your job okay at that point? Yeah, job was fine. Everything was fine from that perspective. It was more of the daily grind. It was just kind of going through the motion. So I started looking at LoopNet again, and I found a 17-unit apartment complex out in Lamar, Texas, another town south of here that was for sale by owner. I had a little bit of money in the bank from the sales that I had done. And the guy was going to owner finance. So when I started talking to the guy, he was giving me really attractive terms. I went and looked at the property. It was decent, needed a new roof, it needed some siding, but it it was okay. Not the greatest thing in the world. So I started looking. And then when I thought we had a deal, he invited me over to his bank to sign the paperwork. When I showed up, 
the president of the bank was there and two other gentlemen were there. So I sat down and I said, look, I'm here to purchase property. I have a deal with this gentleman. And apparently this guy wasn't being real forthcoming. He had been kind of not telling me that I was going to be fourth in line. The bank had financed it to these two gentlemen. Those two gentlemen had financed it to this guy and this guy was going to finance it to me. So they were pretty upset that this guy was doing this underhandedly. But once I talked to them, you know, I had a little bit of money. They saw my credentials. I was a project manager for an oil company. They really wanted to get rid of this guy. So they came up with a deal where they cut out everybody and I dealt directly with the bank. And they actually gave me a price cut with the understanding that I had to invest some money into the, the roof and do some siding work. So that I had to put some earnest money away in an account so that I could make those repairs. It wasn't the greatest deal in the world, but what it did is it introduced me to this banker. To this day, I'm still using this guy. We had a great relationship. That started it, and I built the reputation with him of doing things. And so that kind of kicked off my multifamily. And the attractiveness to me was that it was all in one place, collect rent in one location, all the repairs. I'd go on a Saturday morning with my toolbox. I still was doing it myself. I had an on-site manager, but her job was simply to collect rent and to show units when there was vacancies. But other than that, I did the credit checks. I filled out the leases. I kept track of all the maintenance, all that stuff I did along still with my full-time job. So that's kind of how I got into the multifamily. Wow. Did the gentleman who originally was going to give you the seller financing get the same profits that he was anticipating in the revised deal where you worked directly with the bank? No. So as it turned out, this guy was in trouble with the other investors. He wasn't paying taxes. So they threatened him with, I don't know what they took. He had other businesses going. So at the end of the day, I never saw that guy again. It's like I took him all back and did something with him. But I ended up paying less. So my guess is that he got less. Because when I saw the taxes that he owed, and I hadn't seen any of this, right? I'm new to the game. I didn't know what he was doing. When I saw what he owed for taxes and the money that he owed the bank and all that other stuff, I have a hard time understanding if he walked away with anything at all. Mm-hmm. And how did you so, hear about that 17 unit? Found it in LoopNet, just looking. This was back when LoopNet was fairly new, and I say fairly new, I don't know how long it had been there, but it was new to me, and it was back in 2008, I think, something in that range. So then you got a 90 unit. How'd you go from the 17 to 90? So I operated that for a little while, and I did very well. Back in that time frame, there was a hurricane, I believe it was Hurricane Katrina that hit Louisiana, and a lot of the people from Louisiana came to Houston just displaced. With that came very low vacancies, very high rents, and a lot of vouchers, Section 8 vouchers, and a lot of assistance from FEMA. So that really generated a lot of income, and I was able to fill it with really good people and getting really high prices. So at the same time, the economy, the bubble had busted, and you could still see a lot of people in bankruptcy This particular one was in receivership, the one in Texas City. Just so happened that it was almost across the street from the bank that I borrowed the money for the other. But at this point, I have no money. I'm out of cash because I put it all in this thing. So I first went to my bank and said, look, are you okay if I put this thing on LoopNet and I finance it to somebody else? And they were fine with that. So I did that, and, and I quickly got a guy to commit to buy this thing. I didn't make a whole lot of money. I probably made 
75,000 bucks from the deal, but it released some money. And I also dipped into my 401k to pull money out. And I made an offer full price for this 90 unit apartment complex and using the same bank. So they endorsed it. They underwrote it. They said, yeah, we're good. And I've made a full price offer and I got it. Now, when I say a full price offer in retrospect right now, the price is where they almost gave it to me. I think it was like 14,000 a door for 90 units. But that was back in 11. So when things were really depressed, it took a long time to get it because it was in receivership and there was a lot of court orders and arraignments and all kinds of stuff. It's a big mess. But anyway, at the end of the day, I ended up with that thing. And at that point, that was when I started hiring people. I hired a manager, but because of my reluctance to pay a lot and my lack of understanding of how apartments work, I ended up getting a person that had no experience in apartment complexes, but she did have experience in storage units and rental units. So she came over and between her and I, I was still in my full-time job. She was there in a maintenance guy. And then I would go after work every night and we'd stay there. We'd try to figure things out. We'd strategize. We had to get rid of a lot of people. But for some reason, it felt like we never lost money and started making money from day one. She was very successful. She was very, very persistent. And it turned out to be a very good manager. She was very hungry, scrapper. She knew how to save money. And we made that thing work. And about 18 months later, that thing that we bought for $1.2 million, somebody approached me and got an offer for a million dollars more than what I had paid. And what'd you tell them? Well, I've never had a million dollars, Joe, and it was hard to say no. <laughs> uh, something about that million dollar figure that really made me chase that thing. So I went ahead and sold it. And I put it in a 1031 exchange. I didn't know much about it. The lady who was managing that, she was not the greatest at it either. I went and looked. I couldn't find it. By then, prices were all elevated. I mean, in retrospect now, I mean, they were still all great deals, right? But at the time, I was thinking that they were really high. So that drove me to go look in Dallas, Texas, and in Fort Worth. I found a deal out there. It was 180 units for, I believe at the time, they wanted $20,000 a door or something crazy like that. I lost that 1031 exchange because I wanted a better deal. I had that mentality that I always wanted to cut, give an offer lower than what they were asking for. And I lost that deal. Somebody paid 3.1, I offered 2.8, and I lost my 1031. I paid the taxes. And the joy of having the million dollars in the bank lasted for about two days. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's it. Because I found that operating the, the complex, the joy of the wheeling and dealing, the challenge of making something better than it was, was more valuable to me than having the money in the bank. That was something about that challenge. But prices were going up and I just couldn't find anything. Also, I had a little bit of money, more than I had ever had in my bank. So my wife and I traveled a little bit. I think I even bought a Porsche at the time and played some more golf. And, High roller. You know, a little bit. Yeah, we kind of got into that. And it was fun. But again, after a couple of years, I got bored again. I mean, I get bored quickly, as you can tell. Mm -hmm. But then I had three children and job was doing good. So I started asking around again. And Dallas wasn't what it is today. So I started looking in about, I'm going to say 2014. 
I reached out to a broker out there, and he told me that the people who had beat me on the 180 unit complex were trying to sell it. But he couldn't get the listing, but he was trying. He says, as soon as I get it, I'll let you know. But I looked in LoopNet, and sure enough, there they were selling that same complex. But now they wanted 3.6. They bought it for 3.1. So I went over there and found that they were financially in trouble. How did you find that out? I went and talked to them, and I could just tell, flew down there, the car count, you can look, the parking lot's empty, talking to the manager, just kind of just talking to them. They were trying to sell the place. The problem at that point was that it was very difficult to find money, especially for non-performing assets. And I didn't know anything about syndication. I didn't know anything about partnerships. I just wanted to do it myself because that's all I knew to that point. So I tied it up in a contract and I just couldn't find the financing and I lost it. And I kept going back and forth trying to find it, trying to find financing. It took me about a year and a half. And then they were also facing some bankruptcy issues. They went to court a couple of times trying to fight it off. So I knew they were desperate to get rid of it. I just couldn't find financing, especially the way it was performing. I reached out to my banker here and he didn't want anything to do with anything that was outside of Houston. But I finally, after about a year, I finally went to his office. I kidnapped the president, put him <laughs> on an airplane, flew him over to Dallas, showed him the asset. And once he looked at the asset, he goes, holy crap, this is worth that or more. Mm-hmm. So he financed it. Where is it in Dallas? This, this is in Fort Worth. It's right outside 820 and I-30. Okay. Yep. North Arlington, so, East Fort Worth. Uh, East Fort Worth. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the greatest area in the world. And that was part of the challenges that they were having. It's a rough area and they just didn't know how to manage it. These folks, they owned hotels. So they were trying to treat it as a hotel. They were, hey, if people showed up with money, they took it. There was no checking, no nothing. And that's how they got in trouble. And anyway, so finally got it. Did a lot of due diligence. Probably overlooked some things that I should have caught. Like what? Uh, they were claiming a certain amount of collections. But what they were doing is they were actually putting their own money into it to make it seem like they were collecting money. But in reality, they were just taking money from their bank account and putting it in there to make it seem like they were collecting money. The telltale was that their deposits were round numbers. I don't know. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. When I do my deposits, I probably do them daily in the first five days. I never make a deposit with three zeros behind it. It's always some odd number Mm -hmm. in there. So I should have seen that, but uh, I kind of ignored it. And I was in love with the property. People have asked me, would you have still done it if you knew? I think so. Obviously now it's easy to say that, right? But anyway, so I went ahead and, and there was some maintenance issues and I didn't understand the amount of how do I say this? Well, I'll just say it. The amount of, of criminals, if you will, of non-desirables, whatever you call the people that were there. But we took it over. And this lady that had been working for me in Texas City, obviously she was out of a job for a couple of years. She went into the security business and she was doing that. When I called her up and said, would you be willing to move to Dallas? She was, man, you had me at A. She was ready to go because she loves the business also. So she moved out to Dallas to become the manager out there. I was expecting a turnover of about 30%-ish, you know? I was expecting some turnover. (laughs) I was not expecting 70%, 75%. But we ended up, over the course of two years, getting rid of about 70% to 80% of the people that were there. It was just brutal. And as you know, when you get into these things, every time somebody leaves, you got to invest a lot of money to get these units back. So my restoration costs or whatever I was going to put into this property, 
all went into getting rid of people and updating the units they were in just to stay afloat. So it was very challenging. When I first got it, I was probably losing $20,000 a month because I was putting so much money back into it. I was actually calculating how long it would take me to run out of money and asking brokers how long it would take to close on a deal like this so that I could time it so that when I ran out of money, I would be selling it. Yeah. It was very, very scary. All my life savings were in that thing. Of course, I have a young family. I'm thinking, man, what am I doing? All my relatives, people that are not in real estate were looking at me and telling me that I was crazy for doing this. All those pressures that other people put on you just don't help at all. Since I had a full-time job, I wasn't around other real estate people. I was involved in the oil industry, around engineers and other people that are career-oriented. So I didn't have that structure, that support group to tell me, hey, you're doing great. Do this. Try that. I didn't have that. So it was all just consuming the information of the people around me. So from that perspective, there weren't the right people to be around. But anyway, we got through that. And slowly, we started turning it around. It was very challenging, but finally got it turned around. We started making money, I would say, probably in the end of 2016, something like that. I stopped losing money. So somewhere along the line, I started hearing rumors that people were selling their properties pretty expensive, even the ones across the street. I think I paid 20 a door. And I started hearing that people were selling it for 40 a door. I said, well, there's no way. I was too busy running the place. I didn't have time to be looking. And in the process of wondering whether I was going to lose my shirt on this thing, I called a broker and said, hey, how much is my property worth? And he came back and said, look, if you could probably get $6 million for it. So I was thinking, okay, so $6 million, I paid three six. What I've lost, I can make a couple million, not bad. And then I kept saying, no, I don't want to list it. I think I can make it. And then something happened. Around close to the end of 2016, I started getting unsolicited calls from people making me offers. I mean, just cold offers. I knew I was on to something when somebody called and my wife and I were going to go see the Astro who were driving there and, and I put it on speaker and the guy said, hey, I have an offer from a person who's willing to pay you $8 million. I just looked at my wife and we looked at each other and he says, wow, this is now life changing. A <laughs> million dollars, don't get me wrong, a million dollars is a lot of money, but you can't retire on a million dollars especially when you have a young family, you still got to worry about college and all that. But now you're talking about $5 million. That's kind of a different story, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I'll get back to you. I was so excited. I said, man, we just made $5 million bucks. But then I reflected back to the feeling that I got when I sold that other property two days after I had that money in the bank. There was a feeling of emptiness, like, wow, now what do I do with the money? The money's not in the bank not doing anything just sitting there and I'm back to my regular job and all, or whatever that looks like. And Joe, I resisted. I resisted and I said, no, I don't want it. And man, the broker was so upset because he thought he had me. He says, you're never going to get anything more than this. You're already at a eight cap and you know, the market can't support anymore. You should sell. Anyway, on and on. So then another offer came and another offer. Before I knew it, I had an offer for almost $11 million. And I said, okay, so yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to sell $11 million is a long way from three. I then started thinking about things and three want to change. I got to take that money and do something with it. Otherwise, I'm going to get killed with taxes. Well, I went out looking for something. And lo and behold, obviously, everything else went up. So I can't do anything with the money. I'm going to go sell this thing, get the money, and then go buy something I don't want and end up in a worse situation that I'm at. 
So I started considering the whole refi situation and the benefits and the advantages of refinancing. And I listened to your show a lot. That's when I discovered you guys and how people were just never sell, right? It's kind of some people have that philosophy, just keep buying stuff. So at the end of the day, I decided to keep the place and to refi and to take that avenue instead and take my time with finding the property and not have the pressure of the 1031 limitations. And how much money did you get in your bank account after the refi? So I'm not there yet, but I am days away from closing and I'm going to end up with $4 million. Sweet. And then you're going to be investing that into a new deal or are you going to buy another fancy car? (laughs) No, no, no. That'd be a hell of a fancy car, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you you could buy a couple. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. I've been looking at different asset classes as well. So, what do they value the property at? Eleven million. Eleven. Got it. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Well, I suggest that you don't have to hit a home run, but you just got to get started. Getting motivated, getting out of the couch, and start looking for an investment is probably the best advice I can give. What management company do you use on that hundred and eighty unit? We're using a company called CityGate. I am familiar with CityGate. They do our properties oh. too. Oh, wonderful. We're in the lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. You looking for a one-stop landlording software that helps you create listings, find and screen tenants, and accept rental payments while managing maintenance requests? Oh, by the way, it's zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever. What is your return on life? Do you struggle with investing for a safe return? American Real Estate Investments specializes in passive income real estate investing through single family rentals, private money lending, and international vacation rental properties. Visit them at AREIUSA.com. That's AREIUSA.com. Best ever book you've read? I would say Never Split the Difference. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? That we haven't talked uh, about. That we haven't talked about. I refinanced that 90 unit right before I sold it. So that was a bunch of money that I spent that wasn't necessary. Hmm. What's the best ever way you like to give back? I do a lot of mentoring now that I'm into this business. People come to me and I jump at every opportunity that I can to help people out to get started. And I've helped a few people tip houses and get into uh, investing. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing or get in touch with you? anybody wants to get a hold of me, I'm not selling anything. I have any products. I just have my email and it's M-O-R-T-I-Z 9991 at yahoo.com. Quite an impressive path that you have taken from your single family homes, the first 109,000 retail price, as you say, to then the 17 unit from LoopNet, where you may think you said 75K or so. So that's, like that. that's yep. a lot of money. But not relative to what we're about to talk about, the 90 unit, and then pocketing the million dollars, and then leveraging that into the 180 unit. Purchase price, what was that, 3.6 or was that 3? It was 3.65, I believe. So 3.6. Okay, 3.65 purchase price. You could have got it for 3, so shame on you. You totally messed this deal up. No, I'm kidding. Absolutely. <laughs> 3.65 purchase price. And when did you buy that? I bought that September 14th of 2015. 
2015, 3.65 purchase price in 2015 and appraised recently for $11 million. And now you're getting 4 million buckaroos in the bank account mm-hmm. from the refinance and you're going at it again, looking at different things. So thanks again for being on the show. Inspirational story. Really, really grateful you're on the show. Hope you have the best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. What is your return on life? Do you struggle with investing for a safe return? American Real Estate Investments specializes in passive income real estate investing through single family rentals, private money lending, and international vacation rental properties. Visit them at AREIUSA.com. That's AREIUSA.com.